So, some explanation. This is going to be the first episode from now on. Uh, this is Simply Creative People with Grigory Carpin, myself, who's a wiki author, uh, and also including my good friend Harry Blank, who will be my co-host going forward. Previously, there were a couple of other episodes involved, uh, and we've had to get rid of them for one reason or another, and we're not going to get into why. But this was originally the second episode, and what's going to serve is, as a primer, some basic ideas about the SCP Wiki. It's just myself on this first episode, but after that, uh, Harry will be on, and uh, we will have many guests on, and we will discuss things, and we will have fun. Trust me, we've got lots and lots of episodes ahead in front of you. So if this is the first time you're listening, welcome. And welcome. <laughs> oh, well, that was lame. All right. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, SCP fans. My name is Grigory Carpin, and this is Simply Creative People, the show about SCP creatives, be they authors, artists, or off-site content creators like YouTube and TikTok. We're focused on bridging the gap between various fans and serving as an introduction to different concepts and stories on the wiki. So, many welcomes to all, and let's get started. Hey, so as the intro mentioned, uh, I'm Grigory Carpin. Uh, I think it's probably a good idea to explain who I am again. So I'm an author with the SCP Wiki, and I have done something like 65 articles, some of them semi-famous, uh, most of them moderately uh, successful, and you know, I've really enjoyed my time there. And the idea behind this podcast was to give voice to creators uh, in ways that might be informative for the fans and for, you know, other creatives. Uh, especially a place where we can pick the brains of uh, fellow authors uh, and content creators as well. Um, we're still going to move forward uh, because this project has meant something very significant to me. Uh, and the preparations and the weeks leading up to it, I feel like I have had um, sort of a lot of insight into why I do this, meaning specifically the creation of uh, works on the wiki, uh, engagement with the audience, and I really think that we have a platform here to give more voices to people that offsite fans don't normally get to hear from. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about. I still want to focus in on creation, uh, you know, kind of advice on how one would put something on the wiki or when we have people that do YouTube or a, a TikTok on as guests or as guest co-hosts. They can give some insight into their thought process behind that creative output. Because I think there's a lot of people out there that maybe want to dip their toes into this community and don't know how to go about it. I thought today, as I'm looking into some options for co-hosts, 
which I think we have some needs, because what I would like to do is I don't want to change the format of the show. Uh, I still want to encourage reading on the wiki through creation and bridging the gap for those who feel like the site is a little too intimidating, because I think the, the wiki is something truly wonderful and unique, while also being fairly intimidating. There's something like, you know, 6,400 SCP articles, not to mention probably somewhere in the same ballpark of tales, which are prose. And based on some feedback that I've gotten on the first episode, I, I felt like it would be a good thing to do like a brief episode here uh, in this time of transition, talking about the wiki and the concepts on the wiki in a more general fashion as a bit of an introduction. Now the wiki, what the hell is the SCP wiki? You know, I think it's pretty easy, you could Google it. It's often called a collaborative fiction project. It's been going since 2008 or nine, a little fuzzy on that. Everyone knows what the first SCP was, 173. You could go look up incredible YouTube videos about the history of it. I'm not gonna belabor the point there. But what is the actual idea behind it? I don't know exactly what was going through the heads of the first authors that came on board, but a lot of people have spent a lot of time writing really spectacular fiction in, in different formats on the wiki. What's interesting about it is it is collaborative, meaning if someone writes a story and I like, as an author, I like a character or a concept that they put into motion in that story, whether it be an SCP or more of a prose tale, then I can take that character and add to it. Now, there is, I think, a lot of misconceptions because a lot of people think, well, once it's on the wiki, it's, it's the public's property. And that's not exactly true. Creative Commons is such that Anyone can adapt or recreate your work when you put it out for Creative Commons, as long as they cite the source and the license uh, and the author. And so in some ways, yeah, it is kind of like really seeing it to the public, but you know, there is such a thing as doing something respectfully. So, you know, if I saw something that placeholder McDoctorate, who's a friend of mine, who's a very good author, had written, you know, yesterday, and I wanted to do an, uh, an article based on his characters there, you know, I would probably talk to him first. And I would hope that I would encourage anyone that feels like doing videos or TikTok or podcasts or doing stories on the wiki, you know, reach out. I love it when people talk to me about the stuff that I've written. It, it makes me feel great. You know, it's sometimes hard to know what the audience is thinking. Uh, so if you found something that you find inspiring and you want to add to it, trust me, most likely that author will be interested in hearing from you. And if they have pretty strong opinions about adding to it, then that's something you should know ahead of time, probably. Now, there's something that's said a lot about there is no canon. Now, this is an old concept on the wiki. I don't know exactly when it started, but essentially what the idea is, is there's a lot of contradictions, you know? I think it probably started with SCP files ending with like the end of the world or the destruction of the foundation or, you know, major cities. And then somebody else would write a story uh, you know, an SCP that maybe contradicted it. And there was a lot of discussion early on about like, well, what what is canon? Are we making something uh, that is all tied together? And so pretty early on, I want to say, the concept of there being no canon 
there is no canon, quote unquote, was put into place. Now, what does that mean exactly? Does that mean that everything that was written beforehand doesn't matter? No, uh, not if you want to tell an interesting story in this medium. If you want to tell a story in this universe, you should probably pay attention to what other people have done. For example, the first episode was on sarcasm. When I wrote my first sarcasm article, which was my second one because I was a total nerd for it, you know, I read up a lot on it. I tried to understand some of the concepts at play. I actually went and like messaged metaphysician who created sarcasm and, you know, sort of threw some ideas at him about this concept that I hadn't seen explored. And I only knew that because, you know, I wanted to honor the stuff that had come before. Now, my stuff about sarcasm does not match up to some of the other stuff that I've written along with friends about sarcasm because of this concept of there is no canon. And so you kind of have to like understand that there are these storylines and what is canonical and what isn't is connected in different ways to different articles. And that can get confusing for an offsite fan, but in reality, it just means that if something is contradicting another article that you read, it's not really a problem because there is no attempt to try and keep everything on the same page. Now, while I say that, there are such things as canons, which I'll talk about in a little bit. And in those, you are trying to keep things straight within a canon. But it, the idea of there is no canon is more of a general statement that if over here, Dr. Clef way back when wrote a story about how this character or that character was killed by 682 or was not killed by this or was that, and my story contradicts that, there's nothing wrong with that because I've just got a different idea about it. Now, the collaborative angle is really interesting, I think, because there are these transformative works that have been posted by authors that other authors have taken and ran with. For example, there is a concept on the wiki about an ancient imperialist culture called the Davites. They're some of the oldest concepts on the wiki, I believe. The first article was written by Assertive Roland, the author, and he wrote SCP-140. And that one has to do with a book that changes history. I don't believe that he wrote anything more on it, but the concept was so intriguing to people that people just started adding to it. Recently, I collated all the articles I thought were really, you know, impactful about these this group and made a hub for it. A hub is someplace on the wiki that you can find like-minded articles. Either they're all one story or they're semi-connected conceptually or thematically. That concept of the Davites started off as one thing and turned into something else over the last 10 plus years. Some of them contradict each other very dramatically, but it actually makes a lot of sense within that group of interest, uh, which is a group outside of the foundation, because their first article was about how they rewrote history. And so you can sort of hand wave anything about their strange reality being contradicting to one article from one article to the next because it's specifically messing with causality and and rewriting history kind of retroactively rewriting reality the coolest thing about that is that there have been some really interesting things that have grown organically by you know each generation of author i say generation but it hasn't really been that long but you know sometimes it kind of feels like that and you know for myself i you know started writing about the deva quite a bit because I found them so interesting and because I found that most of the articles that had dealt with them were about a strange thing that was found and it was interesting, but that was it. They didn't really go into it further about the culture and it seemed like a really interesting thing. And so my goal was to try and maintain that mystery while also exploring the culture itself. 
So something else that I think is really important about the wiki in general is that it is flash fiction. Now, that's a concept that a lot of people understand, but it's also, you know, a concept that I didn't understand when I first came on the wiki. And flash fiction, you know, I'm not going to go into a definition of it, but the idea is that these are standalone stories. They're meant to be read in bite-sized chunks. An article should be five to ten minutes at most, some of which much shorter. I say that having been one of the authors who wrote 6500, which is 96,000 words, which obviously takes many hours to read. So there is a large variety and people will th have very strong opinions about whether or not your article should be short or long or have collapsibles or not have collapsibles, which are basically just tables you open up in an article. You just gotta have to worry about the only real standard, the only real requirement for anything on the wiki is whether or not people enjoy it. If something is enjoyable, and it succeeds, then it will stay on the wiki. And it doesn't matter if somebody thinks that it's too long or too short. But flash fiction usually will mean uh, that it is sort of a self-contained article. I, for one, always hold to Quantum's idea, I believe it was Quantum, that there should never really be a to be continued. So even though I and many others have written multi-part stories, I always aim to make each story sort of stand alone. You would get more context if you had read the previous stories uh, and they would be easy to find from that article. But if you were to read a single one of my stories in a series, hopefully you would be able to enjoy it on its own. And I think that's a core concept, the idea of flash fiction. And usually that's the way it needs to be executed. Of course, there's always ways around that, you know, Anything can happen. Like I said before, the only standard is whether or not something succeeds. But, you know, in general, you should be aiming for standalone sort of concepts. So let's take a short break and then we can talk about some stuff that's in the universe, huh? Fun. Hey there, fans of Simply Creative People. We're mostly unsponsored so far, so I figured I would take the time to mention that you can support the show on the show page at anchor.fm slash simplycreativepeople. Or, if you're so inclined, you can check out Harry or my Ko-Fi pages at ko-fi.com slash harryblink or slash Carpen author. Things are crazy tough out there, so if you can't afford any financial support, and trust me, we understand, do us a favor and mention the podcast to someone who might enjoy it, or spread the word online. If we want to bridge the gap between fans and creators, we've got to get the word out to new fans. In many ways, this show is designed to be appealing to new and old fans of SCP alike as we can all enjoy some discussion about this thing we love, and we can all learn something new. Heaven knows I learn something new every week. Thanks so much, and we love you just for listening. Thanks for the support through all these first few months of the podcast. You're the best. Okay, I'm back. So let's talk a little bit about what things are actually in-universe. Now, this is going to be some pretty basic ideas, but the whole concept of the wiki is centered around an idea of a foundation, These. SCP Foundation. Secure, contain, protect. Now, what the hell is the Foundation? They follow a fairly understandable motto, which is to secure, contain, and protect anomalies. What's an anomaly, you ask? Things that are not explainable through everyday science or are mystical in nature, oftentimes something quite horrific, but sometimes something just very strange. Now, the Foundation is a non-governmental organization, but they're not like an NGO like PETA or, uh, I don't know, Greenpeace or something. They are a fairly global conspiracy uh, with a lot of endless resources and personnel. Not literally endless, but 
This is very secret world government sort of stuff, only they're not really connected to any specific governments. Their focus is on researching anomalies, containing it both conceptually and physically if possible, such that it will not mess with a thing that they call normalcy. What the hell is normalcy? Well, they've decided, they've established what is normal everyday life. So what is normalcy is basically what do we see in the everyday world? You know, things that make sense, based on science as established. So anything that would mess around with that or create global panic or reveal the fact that magic or elves or demons at the bottom of endless stairways exist, Foundation is going to try and keep that thing quiet. They're either gonna physically contain it, meaning they will not allow access to the thing, whether it be an entity or a phenomenon or a location, and they will also try to conceptually contain it, meaning they're going to make sure that people in the everyday world do not know about it. This is very X-File-y stuff. Uh, only the people in the know are genuinely in the know. There are, Mulder and Scully uh, would be on the outside. They would be on the other side of the veil, meaning specifically people that are, you know, in the normalcy category. Now, how do they maintain that? They maintain that through mobile task forces, which are sometimes military operations and you know, kind of frequently are portrayed that way, but they actually can be investigative or research-based. They are special teams that are tasked with containing or investigating anomalies. Now, when an anomaly has been physically contained or intellectually contained, how do we go about making sure that people don't know about it? Well, and there's a thing called amnestics, and amnestics are some real 1984 shit. <laughs> Basically, the foundation gives you a drug if you've seen a demon or a monster or whatever, and that drug or effect, you know, it's a little bit unclear sometimes what it actually is, will erase your memory. And by specifically targeting these things, they can create false memories or erase memories specifically of things. They don't just erase people's lives, at least for the most part. Although sometimes it can be as simple as moving people out of an area. Let's say a town is anomalous, something horrible has happened there, and nothing can be uh, recovered, and the town is now going to be a threat to the veil, a threat to normalcy meaning the conceptual idea that there are things beyond the veil. And the Foundation might take all those people and move them somewhere else with a false identity and then anesthetize them, essentially, you know, rewriting their lives. It can get a little bit big government scary 1984, to be honest, and it's certainly not consensual. But the idea is lesser evil for greater good. And the Foundation is entirely of the opinion that announcing anomalies to the world would ruin everything. Now, would it ruin their specific power? Yes. Would it ruin the world? I think that's up for debate, and a lot of stories have kind of addressed that. Another thing that you'll see a lot in the Foundation, specifically in SCPs, and this is a bit old-fashioned, but it still shows up from time to time, is the concept of the D-Class. Now, the D stands for disposable, I believe. These are individuals, they are personnel, who, depending on the myth of the Foundation that you choose to believe, have, for whatever reason, been established as someone who can be treated as disposable assets in the research and or containment of anomalies. Personally, I don't like it. I think it's gross. But I'm not going to pretend like it's not there in the articles. Uh, it's kind of a very set concept, and a lot of people have used it. And a lot of people have used it in very interesting ways that, you know, um, can subvert expectations and sort of point out the horrible, abusive nature of uh, the Foundation. And where did the D-Class come from? That's up for debate. 
mostly it's sort of accepted that these are people that have done horrible crimes. Uh, either they did crimes against the Foundation, or they are people from, you know, the normal world, uh, from the prison system. Uh, which I have significant problems with the idea of conscripting people from the prison system and giving them only one shot uh, for their freedom. But, you know, I think it's it's probably, it's a leftover from, you know, sort of the early days of the Foundation writing. Specifically, I think it's a little bit edgelord. Like I said, a lot of people have used it in very interesting ways. You know, the Foundation is authoritarian. They are the ones who define normalcy, uh, and they believe they are doing something good for the rest of the world, and the moral and ethical compromises that they can do uh, along the way matter less. Although there is some debate, you know, depending on the article, what is over the line and what isn't. You know, there's a very common phrase you will see in, in earlier articles, and to some extent today, the Foundation is cold, but not cruel, meaning that the actions that are taken can seem rather callous. You know, erasing someone's memory and moving them to a completely different town is pretty callous. That's uh, not a lot of concern for that person's well-being, except for getting them out of the way of something horrible. But it's not cruel. The Foundation is not trying to ruin people's lives. They are not specifically trying to hurt anyone. You know, they don't want to go on mass killing sprees. They don't want to run world governments and reinforce capitalism or, you know, gap in, in, in class wage between the poor and the rich. They are interested in maintaining normalcy. And so whatever they have to do to do that, within reason, they will do. And that's sort of the concept of cold, not cruel. Another trope that you're going to hear a lot is, you know, we die in the dark so you can live in the light. We being the foundation, you being everyone outside of the foundation. So people put themselves at risk in articles, you know, whether they're an MTF or agent or a, you know, researcher or a D-class, these people are specifically putting themselves at pretty significant risk, you know, either mentally, spiritually, or very often physically. You know, there's a lot of red shirts. <laughs> there's a lot of people that get treated as uh, ways to show an anomaly is horribly dangerous by how quickly it kills someone. You know, it can be a pretty tropey. You know, if you see someone, you know, authentically saying, well, we die in the dark so you can live in the light, it really doesn't feel like the grounded version of the Foundation that I like. But I think that it's an important conceptual trope because it informs you, the reader, as to what the Foundation is like aiming for, that they do feel like this is a sense of sacrifice for the greater good. Now, is that everyone? Is that the, the ruling command council, which are called the O5s, the Overwatch Command? Probably not. But, you know, there are a lot of stories that do really, really interesting things by subverting the expectations, by, you know, playing with the idea that is the Foundation doing something that is the greater good? Is the Foundation evil? You know, and it, it, is the Foundation something of an immoral organization that isn't really concerned with ethics in the traditional sense? There is such a thing as an ethics committee in, in the Foundation, which deals with the mitigating circumstances of what is over the line, what specifically makes someone else morally sick, I guess. You know, and, and, and debating on whether or not something is ethical or not is, is sort of always part of the conversation. And I think it's really, really interesting when people use the Foundation writings, meaning the SCPs, to sort of subvert the expectations. A lot of people I think off-site are going to think, hey, the Foundations are their heroes. They are standing up for the little guy by hiding away the horrible, you know, monsters and, and, and surreal nightmare reality that is the everyday world 
so that human society can continue moving relatively smoothly, pandemic or whatever, notwithstanding. And I think when you play with that expectation and you start to ask questions in the narrative, it can be really powerful. Telling stories about authoritarian, you know, conspiracies that span the globe that ostensibly are the good guys and then start pushing back on that. Some really interesting narratives can can take place. Now, another thing that is really common uh, within the SCP Foundation are GOIs. Now, what's a GOI? It's a group of interest. This is a phrase that is used from the Foundation's perspective to identify organizations or cultures or individuals that work within a group that are also in the know. They are connected in some way to the things that are beyond normalcy. They're either cults or they are government organizations or rival research organizations or whatever that are pretty aware of the fact that magic and monsters and weird science fiction horror things actually exist. And they all have their own independent motivations and guidelines. Uh, and a lot of stories focus on these different GOIs. Now, sometimes they focus on it from the perspective of the foundation, as the foundation is trying to research something that they have done or contain it. And sometimes stories are actually from the GOI's perspective. And those can be called a GOI format and each one kind of has its own. So what are some GOIs that you might be interested in? Well, if you listen to our first episode, Sarcasm is a big one for me, personally, because I like the body horror, strange, uh, nuanced take on uh, the weird el eldritch death cults that are actually appropriated uh, from another uh, marginalized society. You know, see that first episode if you're, if you're interested in that, and we'll cover them in more detail later on. Another interesting one is the Church of the Broken God, which is this uh, hierarchical religion that has been around since, you know, God knows ancient Greece, at least probably earlier, that has a very specific perspective where creator of the universe was evil and to su supplant their control over humanity, a god named Mekane, which is a god of cogwork, of, of gears, of machinery, stood up and sacrificed herself, I believe herself, so that the reality could, you know, so humanity could survive. And that's why it is the Church of the Broken God. Uh, and there are a lot of different sects there, whether that's the Maxwellists or the Cogwork Orthodoxy. And these are all religious collectives, but they often will have a feeling of like secret societies, um, sometimes militarily, sometimes in the ways of like the best conspiracy stories. But these people are very much aware that anomalies are real uh, as part of their religion. And they have insinuated themselves in society in such a way that the foundation cannot just hide them away. But they're also pretty invested in making sure that the everyday person does not know about it as well. So they are not usually seen as a threat to normalcy. And in fact, the foundation has worked with them on multiple occasions. I've already mentioned the Davites, which are this imperialist, slave-owning, colonial group that uh, basically ruled all of Central Asia and pushed into other parts of the world, and basically they had never seen anyone uh, that they didn't think would make a good slave except for other Deva. 
there's some debate about whether or not the devas as ruling class were actually human or if they were just setting themselves up as godlike in their societies. But an interesting thing about them is that they are focused on a couple different things. One being blood sacrifice. So you get some very interesting, almost necromancy ideas. Although it's not as tropey as you might imagine, because oftentimes the blood sacrifice is used for things like retroactively changing history or having a plant tell you the future of your bloodline. It's really interesting things, and, and they're also really focused on agriculture. A lot of the anomalies have been focused on things like anomalous bees that are create, capable of making sure that other anomalous plants are, are cultivated in, in a way that's even possible in like the harshness of Siberian winters. There are There's a peach tree where it grows the head of a specific uh, matriarch's concubine so uh, you know a sex life and that's it i mean the peach literally looks like a person's face <laughs> there are like i said trees that when activated through blood sacrifice will then tell a person's future and also their memories but the future is mostly used for maintaining bloodline so that they would be able to see if there would be genetic defects in, in specific types of pairings between possible mates i guess they're an interesting one, and they're definitely more mysterious than they are deeply explained. You know, Sarcasm and Church of the Broken God, there's a lot of lore. Tavites, not as much, because it has always been this society that, you know, died out a long time ago, and a lot of their artifacts and anomalies have stuck around, but we don't really know that much about them. I wrote The Hub, which I mentioned earlier, and I tried to kind of evaluate uh, this culture uh, that is so focused on worshiping life through death and also has the contradictory perspective of oppressing everyone around them and rewriting history over and over again. So they're, they're, they're very unique and very interesting, I think. There's also Dr. Wondertainment. I think the easiest way and, and possibly a bit reductive way of describing Wondertainment is Willy Wonka if Willy Wonka made toys. Okay, so Dr. Wondertainment makes toys, oftentimes toys that are dangerous and like anomalous, meaning that they are like magical. Like imagine a little robot, like one of those wind up robots you had when you were a kid, you know, I'm showing my age, I guess. But <laughs> this robot is alive, but it's literally a little tiny toy robot, even though it has like some deadly weapons attached to it. But it behaves in such a way as to be like compatible with being a toy. And Wondertainment is almost always connected to these sort of magical, wondrous, you'll excuse the pun, anomalies that are, you know, focused on making, ostensibly making children happy, but oftentimes it is used in this very interesting, surreal, and sometimes frightening, but sometimes just what you know interesting way of of what are what are the sorts of conceptions and expectations we have on children and and on growing up fifthism is an entirely different anomalous religion <laughs> to be honest i don't feel qualified really talking about it's pretty strange a lot of people have said it is an anomalous slash magical slash nightmare religion that's pretty strongly based off of Scientology uh, and not not in the philosophy but in the way in which this religion is spread it is very much a thing unto itself in a lot of ways because for each article that is fifth this 
there is sort of a disconnect uh, between uh, rational thought and the sorts of conceptual ideas that go into the philosophy. Oftentimes it's focused on stars. So the heavens, you know, I would say that's one of the few uh, really themes that, that tie it together. The fifthism can be really nightmarish in a very unpredictable way because it's not about, you know, at least not usually about horrible monsters uh, or summoning eldritch gods. Uh, not really. It's sort of more about the susceptibility of the human race to manipulation of cults um, and sort of how alien it can feel when being presented with, you know, religious ideas that you don't understand. And I think that there's some really interesting stuff that's been done in that GOI that basically talks about, you know, that uncomfortability in a very subvertive, you know, social commentary sort of way where, you know, you can easily point to someone and look at their faith and say, well, that looks strange compared to what I believe. And I think most of human society has been filled with that throughout history. And I think that fifthism is a really fun way to subvert those expectations because, you know, they are scary. They do have very strange ideas and sometimes it just feels like it's dreamlike. But also, are they only scary because they are specifically different or are they scary because their religion is sort of encouraging the mass you know suicide of all of the human race so that they can rise to the stars which is just one example and and to be clear i i do want to do like kind of deep dives on all of these uh gois and other wider concepts in the show when we get some guest hosts as well and, and specifically you know curating some interesting articles uh and explaining them a, a little bit, but this is just a general overview. There's a really interesting group called Are We Cool Yet? <laughs> yes, Are We Cool Yet? And the idea there is it's a group of artists who have started using uh, magic or the anomalous or nightmare weirdness in their art to make performative pieces, to make uh, fine art in many different ways that will affect the people around them. And it's very unpredictable and oftentimes can be sort of weird and creepy because of the way that the different pieces of art affect people. But I think that it's often used in very interesting ways to discuss the weird disconnect between the way that the art world is often looked at to everyday people that enjoy, you know, things that are made through art you know I, I grew up reading comic books and so my idea about illustration is very different than what a fine artist might think about you know living and working in the world of galleries and museums and I think basically are we cool yet constantly subverse the expectation of weird art and how art can be surreal and go and transport you to someplace new and in this case maybe someplace new that you don't want to go. There's also a group called Parawatch. Now, Parawatch is probably the most grounded GOI and the most ignorant because Parawatch is a is basically an online forum within the universe of the SCP Foundation of everyday people that are investigating the paranormal. They don't really know what's going on. You know, the Foundation tries to always keep them on the outside of what is reality, meaning specifically all the strange and horrible things that can be found. But what's fun about Parawatch articles is they're often patterned um, almost like a Wikipedia or a forum uh, in, in sort of a slightly old-fashioned way but if you might want to imagine something like reddit or something like that 
which is an online forum where everyone is dedicated to writing about the weird things that they are investigating. Now, Parawatch is really interesting because you have to be very subtle when you're writing them because it has to be something that implies genuine, you know, anomalies or magic or monsters. And they can never really know what's going on because that kind of ruins the magic. Either the foundation steps in or they don't actually discover it. And so the foundation doesn't have to step in. And so basically what this used for is a sort of old fashioned creepypasta within the foundation universe and some really wonderful stuff especially by great hippo um there was a recent one by yep ihp well recent i think it was last year but the point is is that if you click on the parawatch hub you're signing up to read about everyday people that don't know about the weirdness except for they think there's something weird out there and they're trying to investigate from the comfortability of their pcs or their mobile phones and you can use those things to tell really interesting grounded human stories while brushing up against the nightmare world. Something we're going to talk about next week in a pretty significant deep dive is the GOC. Now the GOC is a group that is tied to the um, UN, at least ostensibly, uh, and they are the Global Occult Coalition. We're going to go into deep next week, so I'm just going to go ahead and skip that one. And then, you know, there's a lot of other ones, but I thought I might at least mention that I have made a GOI myself called Vikander Need Technical Media, or Victim, VKTM. But basically the idea is there that they make what ostensibly looks like cursed media that the foundation is always trying to contain or research, but that media is almost always um, got some sort of social commentary attached to it. So yes, it is a cursed videotape uh, and horrible things happen and horrible things happen if you watch it, but it's not the ring. Although the fun thing about victim is at least from where I am aiming to write them, it's always kind of a little unclear what they're trying to say between the lines, but there's also a lot of articles that seem to be counter you know, counterintuitive when it comes to like progressive ideas or conservative ideas, because I don't ever actually want to explain what's going through the heads of this, you know, quote unquote corporation. Uh, we've used it for some really interesting stuff. A lot of other authors have contributed uh, to talk about, you know, sort of surreal nightmare horror that's maybe unsettling, maybe is funny, hopefully both. And I think we've done some good stuff with it. So those are some GOIs. Uh, and they each have their own hub. And there's off the left-hand side of the wiki, whenever you look at a page on the wiki, there's a side menu. And one of them is GOIs. And you can just click on that and look at all these different ones that you want to see. And, you know, I really encourage people to go and explore because they're some of the most interesting stuff, I think. Now, before we go, I did want to talk a little bit about Canon. Uh, I mentioned it earlier that there is no canon, but there sort of is because within the foundation, within the wider wiki of the articles, there are things called canons. Now, what this means is essentially it's a setting. It's a change from the basic understanding of the SCP foundation uh, in one way or another. And there are little slices of the wiki, usually premises have to do with uh, some you know, major change to normalcy or to uh, some slice of the understanding of the world of the SCP Foundation. And oftentimes those are considered to be canonical within the canon. So when someone says there's no canon, they're not saying that Broken Masquerade, which is a canon, 
uh, is doesn't have canonical ideas within it. It does, but there's not a general concept of uh, a canon for all of the articles on the wiki. That would be truly insane if you were to try and make a grand, you know, unifying theory of SCP. So I thought I might just real briefly go over some examples of canons that are worth looking into. We have the Broken Masquerade, which is a universe in which uh, the Foundation was outed because of something truly horrible. You know, uh, if something is wide enough in the public eye that it cannot be hidden, there's a threat of a Broken Masquerade scenario. And in this universe, in this canon, the Foundation has been completely outed and they have been forced to take on government oversight. And this takes the form of a merging between the Global Occult Coalition and the SCP Foundation joints, well, kind of a joint partner organization, certainly uh, focusing on the containment. They are still 100% still looking at securing, containing, and protecting, but now they're doing it in the public eye, which opens up a lot of interesting sort of geopolitical you know, sociological aspects to a story because no longer can you just erase everyone's memory. Now you have to explain to a senator or to a UN member state what it is you did and why you did it. A lot of really interesting stories have been told in that canon. I highly recommend it. A different one is End of Death. Now this one's pretty strange. Essentially what happens in End of Death is that the Foundation is experimenting with trying to send people through to the other side, or at least halfway through to the other side. Uh, actually letting people uh, who are half dead or you know in a deep-seated coma uh, somehow evaluate um, what the afterlife is. And through a series of unfortunate events, death is killed. Meaning literally the concept of death is destroyed by the Foundation's messing around with stuff. And all of a sudden, no one can die. Now, that sounds like a good thing, and I guess to some extent it would be, but that doesn't mean that everyone is immortal and, it, you know, in the way that a Greek god would be. People that get shot in the head now just have to survive with the pain and the, the uh, people don't die of old age. People don't die from disease. It just keeps getting worse. And that canon is very focused on the entire world coming out and trying to figure out how society is going to live with themselves. If people that have cancer or debilitating diseases don't end up dying, you know, on the one hand, that's good because they're surviving these things, but their symptoms have just continued to get worse and horrible. Uh, that's also true of traumatic death as well. You know, somebody died, would have died in a horrible car accident. They are no longer dead, but their body is just as horribly mangled. And so the thing that's discussed, I think, a lot in there is, you know, what is humanity? What uh, What is existence? Uh, and there's some really fun, crazy ideas that get thrown in there and really portrays the idea of uh, death being destroyed as like, sort of a bad thing, uh, which I guess, you know, it's pretty relatable. There's apotheosis, which is a concept, and I believe it's a Greek word or, or a Latin word, I'm not really sure, about rising up and becoming a god. This has happened in history, in real life, where people, real life people have been deified after their death. You know, Julius Caesar was famously deified by the Romans. In apotheosis, a strange thing has landed, and anyone that is within its range has, you know, at least at first, has been changed in ways that is, you know, almost like the X-Men, like everyone kind of has their own anomaly. So everyday people that are under the effect of this event or, or horrible um, artifact crashing to the earth are then transformed in some way, some of them in really messed up ways. 
but all in unique ways. And it sort of focuses in on the Foundation's attempt to contain these people and, and its failures to do so ultimately because these individuals are so completely changed that they have become unto gods, not literally. But it's 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 a really strong story, and I, I think it's mostly done now, but you know, it had some really interesting concepts about, again, what it is to be human, and whether or not, if you are entirely changed on a physical and, and spiritual level, uh, could you still be called human? S and C Plastics. Now, this is pretty grounded as well. The idea of SNC Plastics is, is heavily influenced by Twin Peaks uh, or other slice of life stories that are set in strange environments. This is about a town called Sloth's Pit in uh, Wisconsin, I wanna say. And basically every woman in this town is aware of the anomalous, uh, even the everyday people. And the agents of the foundation that live and work in this town uh, work for a cover company called SNC Plastics, SCP. And everyone kind of knows in town what they do. And it's interesting because it's, it plays around with the idea of narratives and whether or not narratives have control over real life. And a lot of very interesting character work. It's, it's really focused in on continuing narratives, character-focused stories, and really fleshing out a, a setting regarding, you know, real-life people. You know, it very much is the slice of life in this anomalous world. Rat's Nest is, let's say, anomalies continue to grow and continue to grow. For example, since 2008, we have discovered, quote unquote, so many more anomalies than before the wiki was started. So what if that continued to the point where no government organization, no global conspiracy, doesn't matter how well-funded they are, could always contain it. And eventually there is a breaking point, the foundation and world governments uh, all sort of dissolve and fall apart, and then the world is sort of a wild, anomalous place. There's a really interesting timeline involved, and uh, I think some of the best stuff, which is written by Famine Pulse, uh, is, you know, Kansas Sector, which is a series of uh, small stories about people that live in this very horrible and weird world where there aren't really any normalcy left. Everyone around is kind of affected by an the anomalous in one way or another. On Guard 43 is a canon that I've contributed to a lot. Um, and then my friend Harry has uh, pretty much uh, brought about himself, although obviously there have been other contributors like myself and uh, Placeholder McDoctorate and others. And On Guard 43 is a very Canada-focused uh, canon. And, you know, normally I, I don't think canons have location focuses, but this one has its focus on North American storytelling that is not, you know, in the U.S. We see a lot of U.S.-based storytelling uh, on the wiki, even from writers that aren't U.S.-based. And On Guard 43 establishes a series of characters, again, in a very slice-of-life fashion, but oftentimes are very larger than life, very funny. It's, it's a lot of very witty uh, character interactions, uh, and also focusing a lot on uh, the concepts of hard-to-contain anomalies things that are not stuff you can put in a box, at least usually. Uh, and I highly recommend it. Obviously, I'm biased. And finally, you know, there are a lot more, but I thought, you know, in a, in a final way, we would talk about War on All Fronts. And War on All Fronts is another one in which the world is, is aware of all the anomalies, but in a really dramatic fashion. Uh, at some point, I think in the 80s, horrible, like, kaiju, you know, like Godzilla, attacks a you know magical island and the destruction is so widespread that 
everyone in the world is aware of it. And there's a giant kind of coalition between the foundation, the GOC, and, and, and a bunch of militaries, you know, state militaries, to try and contain and then kill this monster. And then the story is all about everything that happens after, uh, about a world that is violently brought to uh, realize that there are giant monsters and that there are giant, you know, mechs to be controlled. In, in a lot of ways, it can be equated to, uh, you know, Japanese mecha and kaiju fiction, but there's a lot of really interesting storylines that are told within it as well, and it's a heck of a lot of fun. I mean, anything that starts off with effectively Godzilla coming out of the ocean to destroy a magical island full of fairies is pretty fucking cool, and I'm interested in it uh, pretty much immediately. It's obviously less focused on horror and more focused on spectacle, um, sometimes in a way that is very cinematic uh, and very fun, and I highly recommend it. So I hope that this has served as a you know good primer for the foundation, for the ideas and concepts of the foundation, and given you know y'all some ideas about what you might be interested in reading about. Hopefully, we will be back next week with a much bigger deep dive into the global occult coalition, and I have a lot of stuff to say about that. I wanted this episode to go a little bit shorter, but. Here we are approaching an hour. Uh, either way, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for sticking around. Tell your friends. Review us on iTunes and Google and Stitcher and Spotify. Oh, yeah. And our email is simplycreativepeople at gmail.com. Pretty easy. Feel free to send us any uh, responses or uh, comments or, you know, poetry. I don't give a shit. You know, whatever you want to do. Our Twitter is at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T, SimCreate, but without the E. You know, feel free to, to ask questions there. My Twitter is at Gregory Carpin, G-R-I-G-O-R-I-K-A-R-P-I-N. And, you know, I'm very happy to hear any engagement about anything. So hopefully next week we will kind of get going on uh, getting some co-hosts in here and uh, into not just listening to me drone on for an hour. But uh, thank you for tuning in and uh, we'll see you next time. Uh,